So the It's Complicated series is looking at, again, what we call now the Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. If you have your Bibles, you can start looking through that. And what we're noticing about what Jesus is teaching in those three chapters is not just here's what to do, but here's the heart behind it. See, you could read through the Sermon on the Mount and you could get really discouraged because you could read through all of these things and recognize that they are just a bunch of impossible do's and don'ts. Like we talked about anger last week. I won't even ask how that went for you. Although I did hear a lot of people that are now using their turn signals, which I'm greatly appreciative of that. (laughs) So it could be a list of just all these things that Jesus is telling us we have to do and not to do, but there's no way I'm going to be able to follow all of those. Yeah, obviously, like that's the point. We cannot do all of the actions and all of the behaviors that Jesus is listing without him and the power of the Holy Spirit in us. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, the very beginning of how Jesus kicks off this sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? The poor in spirit are the ones who recognize their need for a Savior. So before he gets into anything, he says, first of all, everybody needs to understand, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that recognize how messed up their lives are and how desperate they are to have me, Jesus is saying, a savior in their lives. And then we recognize that because we have Jesus in our lives, if you're a believer and a follower of Christ, when you say yes to him, we recognize that we're very different than those that don't have Jesus in their life. So the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is contrasting. Here's what life looks like in God's kingdom. Here's what life looks like outside of God's kingdom. Here's how people in God's kingdom think, feel, and act. Here's how people in the world think, feel, and act. And there's a difference there. And Jesus tells us, we looked at this at the very beginning of our study in this. We said that Jesus tells us that we are salt and light. Yes, we are supposed to live differently. And our lives most certainly make a difference. And then he goes into all these lists. So here's how you're supposed to treat others. Here's what this looks like. Don't be angry like this because there is a difference. But don't miss the heart. The heart behind it is there's no way we could live up to this standard that Jesus is painting a picture of if we're not poor in spirit, if we don't have Jesus as the center of our lives. And that's ultimately our purpose. Our purpose is to, you might have heard it said this way, love God and love others. A passage we're going to look at today even in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus kind of reiterates that in little different words. He says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. But that idea of seeking first God's kingdom, loving him first, making him the most important thing of our lives. But then there's realities, isn't there? So we might say that, and as a believer in Jesus and a follower of Christ, like, yes, he is my number one priority. Everything about Jesus I focus on, I've given my life to him. But then we also have a job, and we have family, and maybe a sports team that you're trying out for. And then we also have to like study and make the right grades because we have to make the right grades so we can go to the right school. We have to go to the right school because we want to make sure we get the right degree. And the right degree is important because I want to land the right job. If I land the right job, then I get to start working on my status. And as my status increases, then I can get that right promotion. The right promotion is important because I have to make a lot more money because I have a lot of school bills that I have to pay off. But I still want to buy a brand new house and a brand new car and all these other things that I probably can't afford. And then I recognize I have a home insurance and life insurance and auto insurance and all these other insurance called hashtag adulting. And even though I'm trying to do my hobbies, take care of other people in my life, then finally I meet somebody. Oh, and she's the love of my life. 
and she has captured my heart. And so we go on a date and we go on another date. And then she starts talking about marriage. And I don't know if I'm ready for marriage. Are we ready for marriage? And then we start meeting each other's parents. Now we're wedding planning and now we're life planning and we're figuring out where we're going to live and what we're going to do. And then we're figuring out, do we want to have kids? If so, how many kids? And then we have a kid and another and another and another. And then we get a dog and then COVID hits. And I'm trying to, do I watch the news? No, I'm going to ignore the news. And I do all this trying to make sure that my life looks amazing on Instagram. Oh. Thank you. <laughs> now, with all that life throws at us, and that's a fraction of what life throws at us, usually, I'm going to be, I'm going to generalize here for a second, but usually we don't walk through all of that and say, you know what? I'm done with God. We usually don't reject God. We usually don't totally disown God. We don't refuse to believe the scriptures. But what does happen is we lose track of him. So maybe we don't fully lose our faith, but we do in all the other things that are thrown at us, we do actually lose where the most important thing went, somewhere in the back. <laughs> we lose track of what was once our priority, what once we said was the most important thing in our lives. That's what worry does. Worry steals us Away. In fact, the original word that we're going to see at in Scripture, worry is actually described as pulling apart. So here's where God's leading us and taking us, and we're trying to grow in our faith with Him, and then our worries pull us literally in the opposite direction. We feel like we're being pulled in two. Now, let me give a disclaimer on worry. I am not a doctor. I am not a counselor. I am not a therapist. I am not a psychologist. There is a wide range of worry and anxiety that are all very, very, very valid. But I'm going to stay in my lane as your pastor, and we are going to see what God's Word says in this spiritual lane of worry. Because ultimately, worry, spiritually speaking, hinders us and keeps us from pursuing God. Because our mind, worry begins in our mind, worry is rooted in our thoughts, and so our thoughts become focused on all these other things, on all these other worries, which means if our thoughts are focused on the things of this world, our thoughts cannot be on the things of God. Those are being pulled in two different directions. So our worries don't allow us, they keep us from pursuing God. Those worries also become toxic to our mind. It corrupts our mind and corrupts our heart which then influences our behaviors and our actions. In other words, when we worry, when we are full of worries, we think differently, we feel differently, and we act differently. Now, you know this to be true. When you worry, we do things we normally wouldn't do. When we're full of worry and anxiety, we do things we know we shouldn't do. We get short-tempered, we lose our cool, we don't have as much patience and grace towards other people when we are stressed, worried, and anxious. We lie, we cheat, we steal, we compromise, we isolate ourselves, we find addictions, all trying to escape these worries that are literally pulling us apart. But Jesus says, remember, that's the whole point of the Sermon on the Mount, is in all of this confusion and all of this chaos, he says, let me make it very clear, you are to be different we are called to be different. And here's why. It's not just to be different for different sake. No, we think differently in the kingdom of God. As a believer, if you claim to be a believer and a follower of Jesus, you're different because you know the Prince of Peace. 
You know the King of Kings. You know the Lord of Lords. And so, of course, you're going to think differently. You're going to view life differently. You're going to have a different perspective on all of these worries. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you know his goodness and you know his grace. And it changes how you walk through this life. But those worries will keep us from experiencing that life. In fact, you could look at this. It would be a great side study for you. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus gives a parable, a story, and in it he describes worry as something that literally chokes the life out of us. He says the worries of this world will choke the life out. But again, we are called to be different. So as we look at the Sermon on the Mount this morning, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to be in there with me, see it, read it for yourself. Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to see Jesus' words regarding worry. Side note, if you don't have a Bible, would love for you to have one uh, on your way out today, after you get your lemonade and whatever else you're going to pick up today. Uh, go over where the coffee's at, get you a Bible that you can have physically in your hand so you can see it, read it, follow along, and hopefully open it throughout the week as well. Here's Jesus's words on worry. I need to give another disclaimer. There's a lot more before this that I don't have time for today. So you could read all of chapter six on your own. I'm going to pick up about halfway through um, and we'll go from there. Here it is. Matthew chapter six, verse 25, Jesus's words. This is why I tell you not to worry, not to worry about what? Everyday life, <laughs> like all the things Tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now, we're going to go through a good chunk of this passage, and we're going to have to split it up as we go because I want to make sure you're following along and understanding what Jesus is actually getting at. Here's this first part, and you're going to see Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, you're going to see Jesus do this a lot over the next few verses where he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions. This question he asks here is, isn't your life more than just this? Like, I created you for purpose and meaning and life, abundant life, and your life is being, being stolen away by all these other words. Like, no, I meant for you to have so much more, to experience so much more in relationship with him. Your life is so much more than just the things that you're worried about. Remember, worry is what pulls us apart. He's offering another perspective. Instead of being pulled apart, recognize that your life is more than just the stuff more than just the things. So again, in God's kingdom versus the world, there's a different perspective. Now he gives two examples. Both of these examples are pointing to the same thing. Here's what he says, verse 26. So look at the birds. Don't, they don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Second rhetorical question right after it, verse 27, can all your worries add to a single moment to your life? Again, he says, now let me be reasonable with you and logical with you. Look at the birds. They don't have all the worries that you do, but I take care of them as well. And such a great question. Does your worries really help? You worrying about your worries? Are they actually, is that actually helping you? Is that beneficial? Is it actually doing anything to move you forward? We know the answer would be no. He gives another example. Here's a second example, verse 28. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and then thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So why do you have so little faith? Now, this last part's super interesting. 
Notice these two examples have a lot of commonalities. There's two main themes through both of these when he talks about the birds and then he talks about the wildflowers. Both are telling us how valuable we are to God. Look at the birds and look at the wildflowers. Like God cares for them, but you are so much more valuable than they are. So by logic, conclusion says, if God cares for the birds and the flowers, but he loves me more and he values me more, then therefore he will also take care of me, right? So he's speaking to our reasonable side. He's giving us reason. But the other thing that Jesus is doing here is also showing us his faithfulness. Look at the birds, look at the lilies, look at the wildflowers. They're always taken care of. So he says, you are valuable. You are more valuable than anything in all of creation. And God is saying, and I'm faithful. So we recognize we're valuable, we're valuable to God, and God is faithful. But as I said, this last part is interesting because now Jesus throws in the faith word. He hadn't done that yet. So far, it's just been, let's talk reasonably. This makes sense. Like, this is common sense. If I take care of the birds, obviously I'm going to take care of you. He says, but why do you have such little faith? Now he threw the faith component in there. And what he's saying is, as your worries increase, as your worrying increases, your faith tends to diminish because you're not having enough faith. But the opposite is also true. As your faith grows, your worrying begins to decrease. We're going to talk about this more in a second. But that's not because your problems go away. It's because you're thinking of the things of God and trusting in him which is what his point's going to be. Again, we're going to talk about that a little bit more. Now he changes gears yet again. He speaks to our reason, says you're valuable, says I'm faithful, but then he points out the difference. Again, we see this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. Life in the kingdom of God, life in the world. Here's what he says next. So don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows all you need. Man, that's such a good word. And we're told by Jesus himself, here's what sets you apart. If you're a believer and a follower of Jesus, then you think differently than anybody else in the world. The things that dominate, I love that word, that dominate their thinking and their minds is not what dominate your thoughts. Those of the world, are, their thoughts are dominated by all of these worries in life. Yet the people of God that live in his kingdom think differently. So Jesus explains all of that to get to this one verse and this one point. Verse 33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Then he sums it up. Verse 34, so don't worry. I love that. Like, here's this long explanation. We're going to speak to your reason, your common sense. You're valuable. I'm faithful. Here's how people in my kingdom think. Here's how people in the world think. So here's the bottom line. So don't worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. I love that. <laughs> don't miss this, though. Like, this is a big observation. Jesus says, don't worry. Like, so, don't worry. We talked about this, so therefore, don't worry. But he doesn't say, don't worry, because you have no problems. No, as far as we can tell, these problems don't necessarily get fully removed, maybe the way that you and I would want them to be removed. It's not, don't worry, because there's no problems. 
And what Jesus is doing, he's helping us see the real problem. The real problem is not the problems. Your real problem is not your problems. Sure, they're problems, but that's not the root. That's not the real problem. The real problem is our worry about the problems. Because then what happens, though, is we tend to seek all of these solutions to fix the problem. So we spend all of this time and energy and effort trying to just get more stuff. Well, my problems will be lessened. I won't have to worry as much if I make more money, if I have more stuff, if I get more time, if I obtain more. That's a dangerous road to walk down. No, the real solution is not more stuff and more things. It's not more of something you can obtain. The real solution to the real problem is a deeper relationship with God that is trust, is based on trust and dependability. That's where you begin to find yourself not worrying because your faith, remember Jesus mentioned that, because your faith is growing. But again, it's not removing all the problems. Jesus doesn't say, so don't worry because you don't have any problems anymore. And what Jesus is getting at is you don't need to worry because you have Jesus. And if you have Jesus, guess what? Then you can trust Jesus. And if you can trust Jesus, then you can depend on Jesus. And if you can depend on Jesus, then you truly don't have anything to worry about. When your faith gets to that place where I'm depending on Jesus in everything and in every way, doesn't mean you've arrived but it means you know without a doubt that he will do exactly what he promised. He recognizes you are more valuable than any other thing in creation. And he is faithful. For Jesus, this all comes down to trust. All comes down to trust in the heart. If you go back, look at, here, let's do this together. Beth, put that up there. I want us to read this part together. Verse 33, like the main point, everything that Jesus is pointing to, read this with me. Seek the kingdom. You guys weren't ready. Let's try that again. You ready? You woke up now. Wives, wake them up. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time. We're going to take that one statement of Jesus, pull it apart so that we can grow in our faith, where we can depend more on Jesus. We can grow in our trust in him, because Jesus gives us so much in that one verse to help us trust in him. And as we trust in him and depend on him more, our worries become less and less and less, even though the problems don't necessarily disappear. So let's talk through them. The first one is authority. Four words. First one's going to be authority. Stating the obvious here, Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God. So here's the obvious question. In God's kingdom, who's the king? Not rhetorical talk to me. God. Yes. Like I said, not a trick question. It's seek the kingdom of God, meaning God is the king. And if he's the king, guess what? I'm not. If he's the king, then I'm not. And what tends to happen is we want the life of living in God's kingdom. We want the blessings of living in God's kingdom. We want the promises of living in God's kingdom. So we step into God's kingdom and says, but I'm going to hang on to my crown. God, I want to be in your kingdom, but I want to be king. God, I want to have all the things you promised within your kingdom, but I still want to be king. It doesn't work that way. We recognize he is the ultimate authority. And that's hard for us to grapple with because we love holding on to authority. We don't like to be told what to do. He says, no, but that's part of being in his kingdom. 
In 1 Peter chapter 5, we get similar, a similar idea with some different language. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 6. Look at this. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. That speaks to authority. Humble yourselves, submit or surrender yourself under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Here we're, ta- we're talking about the idea of position. God is here. We're here. He's the king and I'm not. He's the authority, and I'm the follower. But notice what comes right on the heels of talking about the authority of God and our place under him. Verse 7, so give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. See, understand that God is not this authority figure that just wants to exercise his authority over us. He exercises that authority to take care of us. Here's another way to think about it. In a kingdom, in a kingdom, who deals with the problems? The king. In a kingdom when there's not enough food for the entire kingdom, whose problem is that? The king. When there's disputes and arguments and issues amongst the people and amongst the peasants, who steps in to help create peace? The king. One of the most freeing ways to walk through life is as a peasant. To live in God's kingdom as a peasant to say, you know what? This ain't my problem. It's the king's problem. Somebody comes up to you and says, hey, will you solve this problem? It's like, nope, that's the king's problem. It's his job. He wanted it. It sounds a little crass and maybe even disrespectful, but he desires to have that place in our lives. Where yes, he desires to be king so he can take care of the problems, where he can care for you, where he can provide for you. That's not a burden we are intended to carry. It's a burden the king carries. And our king desires to do that for us. So stop trying to be king in God's kingdom. Walk around, keep pointing to Jesus. He's the king. He's supposed to deal with it. He promised he would take care of it. That's on him. And they're not burdens for us to carry. Sometimes he taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, I've got a job for you. I've got something I want to use you with. And we follow him because we trust our king. That's authority. We grow in our faith, which lessens our worries by recognizing the authority of God over us in our lives. That's the first part. Here's the second part. Priority would be the word. Let me read it again. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. It speaks to a priority. Now, specifically here, we need to clarify this. We can say things are important. We can say something is a priority and never actually put action to it. We can say it's a priority, but never pursue. That's why it's important to notice the word seek and the phrase above all else. So we seek the kingdom of God. There's action. There's movement. And yes, it is a top priority. It is the top priority above all else. So we seek after the kingdom of God, his ways, under his authority. We seek and pursue him above anything else. He comes first. But what does that really look like? Like, Let's tease that out a little bit. What does it truly mean to seek after the kingdom of God? Paul gives a great explanation of this, very, very practical, and how we can live this out every single day. Philippians chapter 4, Great chapter. We're not going to go through the whole thing. Like, read that on your own. I know I'm giving you a lot of like scripture reading this week. Oh man, imagine that. Philippians chapter four, verse six. Look what Paul says. He says, don't worry about anything. Sounds very similar to what Jesus said, right? So don't worry. Now Paul says it again. So don't worry about anything. But here's what I know about worry. Just saying, don't worry about it, doesn't work, does it? No. There has to be a transaction. There has to be a a change or movement in another direction. 
So if you're not going to worry about it, tell me what to do instead. So don't worry about anything, but it feels very unresolved. So Paul continues. So don't worry about anything. Then there's an instead. Instead, here's what you do. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds everything, anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. And that's usually when I get the eye rolls. Like, ugh, of course you would say that. You're a pastor. We're in church. What else are you going to possibly say? <laughs> now, before you give me the eye rolls, whether they're real or just you're thinking about rolling your eyes at me right now, let me pose another question. Because oftentimes what we spend our life doing is filling in a different blank. We might say, so don't worry about anything. Instead, and what do we tend to fill in the blank with? Don't worry about anything. Instead, eat a lot of ice cream. Man, it just makes me feel better. It seems to help in the moment with all my worries. So in instead, we just, we eat something. Don't worry about anything. Instead, go shopping and spend lots of money. Let's just make that worry go away by just piling more worries on top of it. Ah, but I won't see it till the end of the month. Don't worry about anything. Instead, just work harder and longer hours. Are we hitting close to home yet? Don't worry about anything. Instead, just drink more and use more. See, I would venture to guess, and I'm not saying I do this perfectly, so I'm going to put myself within us here. I think what we tend to do is we diminish and devalue the power of prayer, thinking, well, there's got to be a better way to deal with this. That can't be it. So I'll try all these other things. And what tends to happen is we end up putting ourselves on the worry treadmill. We put a lot of effort into something, a lot of time into it, tons of effort and energy. I mean, you get off that treadmill sweating bullets. But as you step off, you realize you haven't gone anywhere. So you deal with your worries in your own way all day. And when you lay down at bed at night, those worries are still exactly where you found them in the morning. And then tomorrow, you're like, well, maybe it'll be different tomorrow. So you get back on that treadmill and you recognize you're not moving forward. So if you thought about giving me an eye roll on the instead pray about everything, would you at least try? Would you try to seek the kingdom of God above all else through prayer, through coming in a relationship with Jesus where you get to have a dialogue with him and you talk with him and the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Remember, guarding your heart and your mind, man, that's a big deal. It means you don't walk through life struggling and dealing with all the worries because the power of the Holy Spirit is guarding your heart and guiding your mind. Now, if you want to keep reading, I don't have time to do it now, but if you keep reading verses 8 and 9, we're also told what to fill our mind with. So don't worry about these things. Instead, pray about it. But then what do we do? Remember, there's a tug of war happening. We're being pulled apart by our worries. So if we're not thinking about the things of this world, well, what, I need something else to think about. Like, you got to fill my brain with something, fill my mind with something. And Paul tells us, here's the things you think about. So this week, read Philippians 4, 8, and 9. You're going to see, here's all the things you're supposed to be thinking about that allow us to seek the kingdom of God above all else. So how do we grow in a relationship with Jesus in regards to worry, having more faith than we do worry? We start with the authority. Humbling ourselves underneath him, recognizing he's the king and I'm not. We prioritize through prayer, bringing all of our worries to him, trusting more and more in him. Now here's the next part. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and 
Live righteously. Live righteously. You know what live righteously means? The word righteous. It's a very churchy, Christianese word, righteous or righteously. It literally means live rightly. Shocker. That's what we do. We live rightly. We do things according to God. So the word here is conformity. Conformity. Authority, priority, and now conformity, meaning we conform to his ways, not our ways. Kind of ties into authority. Because we want to walk the path that we set out on. We want to do the things that we want to do. We want to live the life that we choose to live. And God's like, not in my kingdom. That's not how it works. I know what's best. So if you don't want to live a life of worry, but rather a life of faith, you're going to conform to my ways, not your ways. First week, if you were here, we talked about the 12-2 pause. I love this. The 12-2 pause says that if I look at my life and I compare it to everybody else in the world around me, if my life looks just like everybody else's, that should give me pause. That doesn't mean everything I'm doing is wrong, but it should at least give me pause because we're called to be different. I should think differently, live differently, talk differently, think differently, feel differently. So if my life looks just like everybody else's, that should at least cause me to pause to dig in a little bit deeper, deeper. We call it the 12-2 pause because it comes out of Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It says this, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you, change you into a new person. Look, by changing how you think, by changing the way you think, then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. That idea of knowing God's will for you, that's what path he wants you to take, not the path you're planning on taking. But in order to know that, I've got to allow him to change my mind, change my thinking, change who I am. And notice that's not a change you and I make. It doesn't say you change yourself. No, it's but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. That's conformity. It's not conforming to the behaviors and customs or the patterns of this world. No, when we live in God's kingdom, According to Jesus, we conform to him. We become more and more like him. We begin to think more and more like him. Not to be him, but he makes us more and more like him. That's conformity. So the authority says he's the king and I'm not. Priority says I'm pursuing him through prayer more than anything else. Conformity says not my way, but his way. Not my path that I would like to take, but I'm going to choose to follow you all to build up to this one word, dependence, dependence. Reliance would be another way to say it. Full trust in him, to have full dependence. We get that from this. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. And he will give you everything you need. Those two words might be the most powerful words that we've spoken yet today. He will not he might, not he could, not he'll think about it. He will give you everything that you need. He will. And we know that he will because of what he already has done. We know what he's done because even in Jesus' words, no, look at the birds and look at the lilies, look at the wildflowers, look at all that I've done for them. I will, of course, care for you and, of course, I will love you way more than I love them. He is faithful. Of course he will. We read through 
the Bible, when we read through the stories of God's faithfulness, how time and time and time and time again, God shows up and does what he said he would. He most certainly will. He will. And that's what gives us confidence. Hear this. Oftentimes, we have confidence because of our own abilities and our own capabilities. Not so in the kingdom of God. Our confidence comes from our dependence on God because we know he can and we know that he will. See, God has shown us and proved again and again his love for us, his greatness, as well as his care and compassion. He showed us his love by sending his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross, to take away our sins, something we could never do on our own. It's not deserved and it's not earned. We need a savior. That's how we started this whole message, didn't we? Blessed are the poor in spirit, those who recognize their need for a savior. That's how he showed us his love. God proved his greatness by raising Jesus from the dead. That nothing in this world can stand between us and him, not even sin and most certainly not even death. But the greatness of God is seen in Jesus' resurrection. Jesus, God through Jesus, showed us his kindness, his compassion, and his care through the giving of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit that lives and dwells in anyone who calls themselves a believer, follower of Jesus. And it's that Holy Spirit that changes us. It's that Holy Spirit that moves us and leads us and guides us and helps us and convicts us and challenges us. If you know the fruit of the Spirit, it's not called the fruit of Brian. It's called the fruit of the Spirit. Because when I have the Spirit, only then do I have these things like love and joy, peace. Don't get that on my own. Patience, definitely don't get that on my own. (laughs) Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those don't come from us. It comes from the Holy Spirit living in us, changing us from the inside out. As Paul said, it transforming our minds and creating us to be a new person. And that's how God proves his kindness and compassion, by not leaving us the way that we were when he found us, but moving us forward. We're not on a treadmill with our worries when we have Jesus. He moves us forward. Let me end with this. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus' words, he says this. I have told you this so that you may have peace. Say peace with me. Peace, so that you may have peace in me, he says. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. See, peace doesn't come from what we do. Peace doesn't come from the lack of problems. Peace comes from Jesus. He says that you would have peace in me, not in anything or in anyone else, but in me. And he confirms that, yes, you will have problems, and yes, you will have troubles, and yes, you will have trials, and yes, you will have sorrows. There's there's a lot of good reasons to be worried. But take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. We haven't overcome the world. That's only through him. So the real problem is not our problems. The real problem is our worrying. And the real solution is not just a bunch of stuff. It's a deeper, growing, healthy, meaningful relationship with God where we depend on him and we trust him in all things. We're going to take communion together today. I can't think of a better way to seek the kingdom of God above all else than to get our hearts and minds focused on the things of God, of course, the cross. 
If you didn't get communion when you walked in today, you just raise your hand in just a few moments. We'll have our guest services team to walk around to make sure you got it. Give them just a minute as they get things ready. But communion is us reflecting, meditating, and yes, celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. The cracker represents Jesus' body that was broken for us. The juice represents Jesus' blood that was poured out for us, removing our sins completely. Scripture tells us as far as the east is from the west. And that's why we don't have anything to worry because there's nothing in this world that could separate you from him. Nothing. Let's pray and we'll take communion together. Jesus, thank you so much for what you have already done. We trust that you will because what you already have done and proved time and time again. God, thank you for loving us so much that you sent your one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins. Thank you for showing your greatness by raising him from the dead, conquering both sin and death. Thank you for loving us so much that you didn't leave us just to figure it out on our own, but you give us your word and you give us your spirit. So in this time of communion, we remember all that you have done and we once again go back to the most important thing, you. We hold tightly onto you in this moment. Direct our thoughts, direct our hearts to be focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen.